we are going to finish maybe, or this is our next to last maybe. Might have one more, might have two more um, sermons in this series through Exodus. We'll see after next week. Um, we're going to be in Exodus 33 this week. Um, but just to give you a look ahead over the next few months, um, unless God changes something, we'll finish Exodus within the next two weeks. Then after that, we'll have five weeks where we talk about um, values um, in the way we do ministry together. Then after that, we'll have, I think, a few weeks of um, single talks. Um, Tim's going to preach a bit. Um, a longtime friend, John Lamferman, he's going to come into town and be with us, he and Linda. Um, they're going to do a marriage seminar, so be on the lookout for that. And John's going to preach that morning. Um, and then here's the best part, my favorite part. Um, from the back end of the fall through the winter, we're going to be going through the book of Revelation. Ooh. Scary, right? <laughs> Creepy. Uh, so we'll spend maybe eight or weeks, eight weeks or so in Revelation. Then it'll be Christmas time. Maybe you'll be ready for some Christmassy cheer after all that Revelation. <laughs> um, so Exodus 33, we'll be in um, Exodus 33, uh, verse 7, and on to 34, verse 11. Um, once you're there, let's stand and read this together, if you will. Um, also, they're not here, and they might leave before church is over, but they're going to be here, I'm positive. Um, Bob and Nellie Chambers, uh, you might know them. Um, they celebrated 70 years of marriage yesterday. Um, that's longer than my grandmother's been alive. Um, so when you see them, if you see them today, uh, let's congratulate them. Thank God for them. Um, Exodus 33, um, what's happened between now and Tim's sermon last week is God was giving the people, Moses his blueprint for his house in the middle of the campsite on the mountain. And in the middle of God talking to Moses about that blueprint, the people get kind of nervous. They think Moses isn't coming back. Therefore, this God that Moses is representing has left us. We're kind of nervous. We need a God if we're going to be out here. So Aaron, Moses' uh, family member, um, we need you to make us a God. So Aaron said, cool. All that gold that the Egyptians gave you, give it to me and I'll make you a god. So they gave Aaron the gold. He built a cow. They started singing and worshiping this cow. God tells Moses, hey, the people have started worshiping a cow. Um, go down and see what's happening. Moses gets down, asks Aaron, who he left in charge, what happened. And my man Aaron said, they threw the gold into the water and a cow came out. I don't know what happened, dude. Um, so then after that... Uh, after that, hey, Bob and Nellie Chambers just walked in the room. Hey, congrats on. <laughs> Should have gave them a second to get situation. Hey, Bob and Nellie. <laughs> hey, congrats on 70 years, you two. Yeah. It's heroic. <laughs> um, so uh, Aaron says, look, the cow just came out of the water. It wasn't me. Um, Moses says, yeah, that's ridiculous. God tells Moses, hey, I'm not going forward with them. I'll send an angel to lead you. Y'all go into the land. I'm chilling here. Here we are. Exodus 33, verse 7 says, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud, that's where God manifest his presence, would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent to let the people know that God was here with Moses and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. They worshiped from afar. 
And that's the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. And Moses said to the Lord, look, you've said to me, bring up this people, but you haven't let me know whom you'll send with me. Yet you've said, I, God, know you, Moses, by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I might know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, this nation is your people. And he said, that's God to Moses. My presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. And Moses said to him, I love this. I love this. He says, if your presence won't go with us, don't bring us up from here. Um, in other words, if you're not going, we're not going respectfully. Um, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you've spoken, I'll do for you found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim uh, before you my name, the Lord. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I'll show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. That's God saying, I, I, I decide how I treat people when I treat people. But God said, you can't see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me on Mount Sinai where you'll stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of a rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll take away my hand and you'll see my back, but my face will not be seen. And the Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. And I'll write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one will come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took his hand and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. This is one of my favorite scriptures, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord, I'm a God merciful and gracious. I'm slow to anger and I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I keep steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses does what um, people do when they when they, when when God shows up and Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. Yeah. And God said and Moses said, if now I found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. This is a stiff necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. And God said, behold, I'm making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among who you are, who you are shall see the works of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Father, thank you for your word. Yes. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for gathering us in your presence today where you'll reveal yourself more. Open our hearts, open our minds. We want to grow in knowledge of you, in intimacy and faith and love to help us. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> So um, a lot of you know that I grew up in a um, 
very Christian household. Um, so a lot of my um, the experiences that I remember um, the most fondly are super Christian experiences. Um, it's a whole different kind of counseling all by itself. Um, for instance, I remember growing up and um, I'd never read Harry Potter for Accelerated Reader in um, English class because witchcraft. Um, I remember not going trick-or-treating on Halloween dressed as a ghost, but instead I'd go to Hallelujah Night at the church dressed up as the Holy Ghost. Um, dressed the exact same way. I was just the Holy Ghost because I was at church. Um, what else is there? Um, I remember um, being absolutely taken back the first time I sat in the living room and someone said, I have an unspoken prayer request, and the rest of the group prayed vividly and long about that unspoken prayer request that they knew nothing about. Um, that's super Christian. Um, I got saved like five times in a, in a Christian hell house. You ever heard of those? Uh, Christian hell house. It's this thing that they send us to at Halloween um, where it's like this haunted house. It's not a haunted house because it's Christian. It's a hell house. Um, and each room is a different room of hell. And they walk you through it. They traffic you through the thing. And so you're crying at the end, and they've literally scared the hell out of you. And now you're sitting at the end of this door, and they're like, believe in Jesus, and you won't go to hell. And I'm like, I believe. So that happened when I was like 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. Um, I'm very saved. Um, here's one of my favorites. So you all know I, I grew up Pentecostal, so... It was common for us to lay hands on one another and pray for healing. And I saw it work sometimes. So sixth grade, 12 year old Jerron, when my Xbox breaks, I thought, I've seen people lay hands on people with broken legs. Surely I can lay hands on this broken Xbox. Um, got some anointing oil, poured it on, poured it on the Xbox, <laughs> prayed hard. It didn't fit work. Um, if you were wondering, <laughs> super Christian experiences. Um, here's one I don't, I don't think I've shared much. Um, my, my grandfather and grandmother on my father's side pastored this church that I grew up in. Um, and my grandmother, four foot two, fiery preacher, fiery. And she'd call me and I'd answer, I'd say, hello. And she'd say, praise the Lord. I was like, hey, Nana. Um, <laughs> she said, I just wanted to know if, um, you felt your ears tickling. And me being me, I didn't have it in me to tell her, no, of course my ears weren't tickling. But I was just like, yeah, they were tickling. And I was wondering what that was. And she said, well, I just want to know if you felt your ears tickling because I've been praying for you today. Um, she taught me that your ears tickle when someone's praying for you. <laughs> by, by the time I sit down, I want you all to know and live in and experience the, the distinctly Christian reality that it is to have your ears tickling. Um, cause somebody's praying for you. Um, Dorothy Norwood, this old gospel singer, she sang this song that I want to be the song that flows out of our heart. She says, somebody prayed for me, had me on their mind, took the time and prayed for me. Then the chorus goes, I'm so glad they prayed. I'm so glad they prayed. I'm so glad they prayed for me. Uh, the title of this talk or what the theme we'll have today is somebody prayed for me. Um, help me preach. Say that to someone next to you. Someone prayed for you today. Um, pick another person. Someone prayed for you. <clears throat> Having someone pray for you is the um, 
is the shared experience that we have with the people in the passage that we just read, having someone pray for us. So what I want to do is I want to walk through a series of shared experiences that we have with the people in the passage um, to fully get the meaning of what it is that someone prayed for us. Um, so the first stop we've got to make is we've got to stop in our shared experience in that we and the people in our passage, we have a shared predicament, if you will. We've got, we've got a shared situation, a shared problem, shared predicament. And here it is. Here it is. Write this down. Sin has led to separation between God and humanity. This is the shared predicament that sin has separated God from people. So Exodus 19, God proposes to the people. Exodus 20, God starts his marriage vows, if you will, his relational expectations for how the people will live as they're in relationship with him. That's from 20 to 24. Exodus 25 to 31 is God giving Moses the blueprint for the house that he'll build in the middle of the campsite um, for the, of the people of uh, Israel. So God has these plans to live in a house right in the middle of the campsite. But here we find ourselves in Exodus 33, and God's not in a big house in the middle of a campsite. God's dropping in and out of this little bitty tent, Moses says, far away from the campsite. God's not even close. There's a separation between God and the people. And what was the cause? God gave these people this covenant in Exodus 20 to 24, and specifically Exodus 20, there are 10 big expectations, rules, if you will. Some of you know them as the um, Ten Commandments. And these people, when they started worshiping the cow, they broke the first two. Commandment number one, don't have any other God before or besides me. In other words, it's just me. And they made a God out of a cow, a golden one, if you will. Commandment number two, you'll not make any image that looks like anything in heaven and on earth and you won't bow down before it. And here we find them in Exodus 32 bowing down before this image that looks like a cow. And because of that sin, God and man were separated in that point. I know a lot of us in here are Christian, but it wouldn't be right of me every few years to to not remind you that there is such a thing called sin. And it does separate from God. It does separate people from God. All over the world at any given moment, there are people playing Monopoly right now. And everyone is rolling two dice. And everyone is going to jail when they land on go to jail. And everyone is buying property from the bank. They're not just claiming property. Why? Because there was a rule book handed to them, written by someone not them. That regardless of where you live, you play by that rule book if you're going to play this game. And I remind you that as we live this life on earth, there is a moral rule that was written outside of you, placed upon you. And every move that violates this moral rule book is called sin. I know you might be hearing messages in society that says, no, you write your own moral rule book. And so long as it doesn't offend anyone else or hurt anyone else, that's a good one. No, friend, we've received a moral rule book from God. And I know people will say, you can't say anything about this moral rule book or that moral rule book. That's their moral rule book. Listen to me. No, no, no. All people live under the moral rule book of God. And violations called sin and its consequences, separation from God. 
So at any given moment, there's water vapor in the air, in the atmosphere. Sometimes that water vapor manifests itself um, suddenly of just kind of a cool day on a sunny day. Sometimes that water vapor manifests itself extremely obvious, like a thunderstorm that drowns you when you walk outside or the Missouri humidity that hugs you, kisses you on the cheek, then punches you in the throat when you walk outside of your door. It has a very strong, obvious manifestation sometimes. It's always there, just the manifestations kind of vary. When, when I say that this causes a separation from God, I'm saying that this omnipresent God who's everywhere, when there's a separation between us, he dials down on the manifestation of his presence. The people of Israel, they went from seeing the glory of God in the tent in the middle of them. They went from hearing God speak. They went from watching God fight battles for them to now they don't see much of God. He's turned down the dial on his manifestations of his presence. Same is true for humanity. And consequently, the dialed down manifestations of his presence are dialed down interactions with him that lead to a relational distance. The same way that you have been going to work with someone for 20 years, but y'all have never interacted and you're not close at all. There's a relational gap. Same way you can be on a plane shoulder to shoulder with someone and they're sleeping on your shoulders, but you've never interacted, never talked. There's a relational distance. There's this lack of interaction with God causes a relational distance. I remind you that sin leads to separation. But I want to be specific to this passage. Someone pointed out to me this week, when the people worship that cow, they probably were experiencing legitimate emotional distress. Real confusion. Valid fear. Probably some disappointment, some pain. And it was that confusion, that, 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 that legitimate emotional distress that drove them to sin. Can I just say, your emotions are real. God gave them to, to you. Your emotions are good. Being an emotional being is what it means to be human. But your emotions are terrible dictators of human behavior. Your emotions are horrible when it comes to forming a perspective of what you ought and ought not to do. Because just like the people in the wilderness, your emotions, if you're not careful, could drive you right into sin. Yeah. As even more specifically, those of us who are in close relationships, marriages, community groups, best friends, and these close relationships where we experience the highs and lows of emotions, listen to me, be careful. It's the highs and lows of the emotions of a close relationship that could drive you right into sinning against that person that ends up causing a separation from God. So our predicament is the same. There's sin in the camp. It's separating God from humanity. In the same way that we share a predicament, we, we also share the same prayer need. Moses, he gives us a peek inside of this tent, and his one aim is to restore relationship between God and the people. That's what his overall aim. But you see, it takes a specific kind of, it picks up a specific kind of theme. He says, who's going with us? If you're not going with us, we don't want to go. It's you being with us that shows your favor for us. It's you being with us that makes us distinct. Then at the end, he says, please just go in the midst of us. Moses seems to be prioritizing God's presence in this prayer. God, God being present is the expression of his restored relationship with this people. 
And so, 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 so Moses, he saw God over the past few months. He saw God break every law of nature to jailbreak them out of slavery. He saw God uh, turn a rock into a water fountain. He saw God pull bread out of the sky and give it to them while they were in bed. And now he's gotten to the point where he says, I don't want to go anywhere without you. I'm not doing it. This guy, Philip Reichen, I read him this week. He said, God was the only thing that these people had going for them. And so Moses is saying, be with us. This is the same need that we have. We need the presence of God among us because it's God's presence is essential for this journey as we go forward. Uh, During the summers, I spend time with high schoolers at different camps and conferences. And at every single one, they send a packing list to the uh, students, uh, high schoolers and middle schoolers. And they'll say, you need to bring a Bible. That's good to have with you. You need to bring clothes. That's good to have with you. You need to bring bedding. That's good to have with you. But in my opinion, the most important thing on those packing lists is you need to bring deodorant. (laughs) A lot of important stuff on that trip as a middle schooler. Middle schoolers, listen to me. I love you. Um, The most important thing you need on that trip is some soap and deodorant, in my humble opinion. In an even greater way, I think what Moses is saying is he's saying, look, we've got a lot of stuff on our packing list, God. But the most important thing that we got to go with is you. Notice what happens before we in the bit before our passage. God says, I'm going to send you all to the promised land. I'm going to send an angel to go with you. You'll get there. And Moses says, if you don't go, we're not going. Because good ain't good without God. What, what, what journey are you on? What earthly journey are you on? Where are you headed to? Parenthood, adulthood, college, a new job, a new career, a, a new, a, a new work with God. Listen to me. If God's not going, it ain't good. Our, our eternal journey to heaven. Listen to me. God is what makes heaven heaven. And if God ain't there, heaven ain't no better than a vacation on earth. He's essential for the journey. Christ Church, listen to me as a pastor and a leader. I pray that I develop the attitude that Moses has. And I pray that we all develop together the attitude that Moses has, where we say there could be a lot of bright things in the future. We could do a lot of cool stuff as a church. We could we could have a lot of good plans. But God, if you're not going, we don't want to go there. We don't want to move without you. And whatever you're in, that's good for us. Because God's presence is essential. Knows what Moses says. Moses says, it's your presence that shows that you favor us. That shows you're pleased with us. People show they're pleased with another person by applauding them, by complimenting them, by liking their Facebook statuses. God shows he's pleased with the people by living with them. Mo- Mo- Moses says, it's your presence that makes us distinct. You can sit wax and clay under the same sun at the same time and the wax will melt and the clay will harden. They're distinct. They go through the same thing different ways. And Moses says, it's you being with us that makes us extinct, distinct, not extinct, distinct. (laughs) We we go through the same thing that every other people on earth go through. But it's when you're with us, we go through it different. I go through the same loss that the rest of the world goes through. But when God is with us, I go through it different because he's the God of all comfort. 
I have the same questions that the rest of the world has, but I go through those questions different because when God is with me, he's the source of all wisdom. I, I go through confusion the same way the rest of the world goes through confusion. But when God is with me, I go through it different because God has a peace that guards my heart and mind that surpasses all understanding. Moses says, it's your presence that makes it different. It's God's presence that makes people people. Humanity, especially in the West, we're on this journey now, full expression. What does it mean to be a person? I want to express my authentic self. Listen to me, friend. True and full humanity is being with God. As a church, it's God's presence that makes us us. Uh, negligence, whether intentional or unintentional, to engage and interact with this God who is among us is a sort of a practical forfeiting of our identity as a people. It's God's presence. Charles Spurgeon says God's presence is, presence is all we have. When we don't have God's presence, we're poor. When we do have God's presence, there's nothing but goodness that abounds. Our need is the same as the need as the people. We need God's presence because God's presence is essential. And the same in the same way that we share predicament and we share this prayer need, we also share with these people in the fact that we've got someone praying for us. You like the alliteration? That last point, my fourth point is not going to alliterate. The, the prayer, the, the person praying for us. As far as we can tell. Moses was the only person in the camp who was still good relationally with God. Maybe Joshua. Maybe. He, it says he would go in the tent and whenever Moses would come to the tent, God would show up with him. That's special. It said that God would talk to Moses face to face like a man talks to his friend. That's not saying Moses saw the face of God. That's saying God is fully intimate and honest with Moses. I read a guy this week who said that Moses had the best relationship with God that anyone had had since Adam and Eve before they sinned. He had it good. Moses had this good relationship with God. But notice this just really quick. Let me pause right quick for this. Notice that Moses has this unmatched relationship with God. And do you see how his prayer life was spent? Moses, who had this intimate relationship with God that no one else had, didn't talk to God about Moses. Moses talked to God about the other people. Sidebar, let me pause for the cause. Anyone in this room who has responsibility over someone and you know Jesus, please do not let your prayer life be consumed with you. (laughs) Take some time and pray for those other people you're responsible for. Parents. Back to the story. So Moses is praying for these people. And then God answers his prayer. God makes good on it. But notice what God says as he's making good on it. God says, this thing I will do be with the people. Why? Because I, God, have found favor with you, Moses. And I know you, Moses, by name. God's saying, I'm going to answer your prayer to be with the people because of the relationship I have with you. Then look at how Moses continues to pray. Moses says, if I've found favor, if you know me by name, if we have this right relationship, then I need you to do this. And then God does it. If you take a step back, it seems as if Moses is right with God, righteous 
righteousness. Moses is righteous. And God was persuaded by the prayers of that righteous person. You run through the Old Testament and the New Testament at some places. You, you run through it, you'll find this theme. Proverbs 15 says, God hears the prayers of the righteous. Uh, Isaiah 59, God says, because of your sin, your lack of righteousness, I've turned from you and don't hear your prayers. James 5, the prayers of the righteous person will avail much. John 9, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he listens to people who does his will. Righteous people, God seems to be persuaded by the prayers of a righteous person. And in his goodness, God is attentive to all. But in his sovereignty, God chooses to show a special kind of goodness, a special kind of benevolence and generosity to the righteous. But here's the predicament. Don't forget the predicament. There's sin in the camp. Isaiah says all have gone astray. Moses, or not Moses, Paul says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. Regardless of how you slice it, some people say that we end up sinful because we were born into the punishment of Adam's sin. Others say we were we're all sinful because we inherited Adam's sin sickness genetically, if you will, where we're predisposed to sin by the time we can walk. At some way, regardless of how you slice it, we all end up in this position of sinful, not righteous. So we don't have this inherent right to be heard by God. We can't gain this inherent right to be heard by God. We can't make Maintain this inherent right to be heard by God. And just like the people have someone who goes to God for them, God, in an even greater way, sent someone to us as a middleman. Moses, this mediator, he was described as God's friend. This greater mediator that came down from God was God's own beloved son. Moses, this mediator, went to God and he said, I'm going to try to make atonement. Jesus, this mediator from God, came on earth, took on full humanity, took on our sin, made atonement for our sin, died on a cross, rose again on the third day. Uh, Moses, he, he went to this little bitty tent where God came down into. Jesus, when he rose, he walked up straight to the face of the Father in heaven and said, here's my atonement. Moses, the result of his sin is for God's presence to, to fill this tent in the middle of a camp. The, the, the result of Jesus's atonement is for God to presently fill the hearts of each individual person who believes in Jesus and the whole community, Moses would die one day as a mediator. Hebrew says that Jesus lives forever to continually pray for you, which means as long as he's praying for you, God ain't leaving. Terrible grammar. Great theology. Jesus, Jesus is this perfect person who prays and maintains God's presence among us. Somebody prayed for you, church. Somebody prayed for you because Jesus prayed for you. God is here right now because Jesus prayed for you. God is continually with you because Jesus prayed with you. God is speaking because Jesus prayed with you. God is leading because Jesus prayed for you. God is providing because Jesus prayed for you. God is living his life among us right now because Jesus prayed for you. Even though you probably sinned yesterday, God hasn't left. Some of us might have sinned today and. God's still here because Jesus prayed for you. Good chances are some of us will sin tomorrow, but God won't leave because Jesus has prayed for you. Jesus, he prays to maintain the presence of God among these people. You haven't 
signed on board with this Jesus thing. If you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, Jesus is offering the thing you've been searching for. That constant jumping from person to person, career to career, this thing and that thing with it never being enough. It's because what you're searching for is God. And Jesus says, here, come be with God. Believe in me. You can believe in Jesus. He'll, he'll immediately give you the God you've been searching for. Christchurch, somebody prayed for you. God's here. That means we no longer spend all of our time begging God to come be with us. We don't spend the first 15 minutes of our morning saying, God, be with me, please. God, be with me, please. God, please be with me. Thinking if I somehow ask enough and sincerely enough that he's going to be there. Listen to me. Here's the good news. Somebody prayed for you. We don't we don't come in here in the first three songs of worship, begging God to come down and be in this room. Listen to me. Someone prayed for you. He's here. On the opposite end, we can't come into these gatherings casual. As if it's just a bunch of people hanging out, having purely horizontal, interpersonal, among human interactions. Listen, somebody prayed for you. God's with us. So, so we, don't, we don't beg God to be here. We don't walk around casual as if God's not here. What do we do? We do what the author of Hebrews says. We just draw near. He says, draw near in prayer. I've seen that over the past few weeks in this, this community. A few Sundays ago, I was walking through the hall and a woman stopped me and said, hey, can I pray for you? She's quick to draw near to God because he's here. I've seen throughout worship the past few weeks, people in this corner and that corner out in the lobby praying for one another, quick to draw near to God because he's here. We've got various groups of women who get up before the sun gets up to pray a few times throughout the week, quick to draw near to God because he's here. We're offering prayer after meetings every Sunday. Quick to draw near because he's here. So my prayer is that we be those who are quick to draw near. The walk to get prayer is not a walk of shame. It's not an embarrassing thing to ask someone to pray for you. It's a privilege. He's here. Someone prayed for you. So let's be that kind of church that constantly and continually is quick to draw near. Somebody prayed for you. And then let me fast forward to the end of this. God ends this episode with Moses by giving Moses a quick revelation of who he is as he's here with us. Um, when I started grad school last summer, my first class, our professor, she um, wanted us to get to know each other because we'd be spending a whole lot of time together over Zoom. So she... Um, had us record five-minute videos of ourselves where we told the class about ourselves. Because don't nobody know me like I know me. Therefore, the only way for someone to know me is for me to tell them about me. Uh, I read these guys this week, um, a book on the incarnation, and they said, only God knows God. So only God can make God known. Listen to me. We live in the West where our mind is formed to think reason over revelation, reason over revelation. I know God if I can reason him before revelation. That is not life with God. You know God by revelation and your reason serves that. All of us are formed to think this way. And God's saying, no, I reveal myself. You cannot reason your way up to me. Voltaire said in the beginning, God created man in his image and we've been returning the favor ever since. 
What we do when we start with reason is we're fashioning and forming a golden cow, if you will, who matches our intuition and who matches our preferences and who matches our comfort level, who matches our culture and our society. And God says, no, you only know me through revelation. Henry Nouwen says, rejecting the, 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 the attributes of God that we can't comprehend or reason, that's not a love of God. He says that's hating God as he's revealed himself. Listen to me, friends. Rejecting truth, biblical truths about God that you can't reason or get on board with, that's no real way to live with God. I propose that you're not living with God. You're living with a cow. God, God reveals himself. Henry Nouwen says, he, I love this phrase. He says, you've got to have a receptive emptiness so that God can fill you with revelation of who he is. I'm not saying subjective revelation. I'm saying revelation, uh, in Christ through the scriptures. He said, you got to receive this. So, so listen to how God describes himself in this passage. God says, I'm a merciful God. When I'm with you, I'm being merciful. Jesus tells this story of this man who was on this road trip. He got jumped by some thugs, beat down, robbed, left for dead. This man opens up his eyes to see a Samaritan come by, bandage him up, uh, pick him up, take him to an inn, pay all of those hotel fees until he was healed. Jesus and these boys did a commentary on that, and they said he showed mercy. He helped him in his weakness and his poverty. God says, when I'm with you, I'm merciful. I'm helping you in all of your weakness and your poverty. Jesus says he's gracious. Some of you know what it's like to have a birthday party thrown for you. People come to your house. They sing over you. They give you a whole bunch of gifts. They cook you a cake. And you know what you did to deserve that? Nothing. You came out your mom. Congrats. And year in and year out, people are showering you with gifts. This is what it means for God to be gracious. He's showering you with gifts that you didn't do anything for. God says, when I'm with you, I'm being gracious. He says, I'm slow to anger. The Hebrew word for that is I'm long nosed. Some of you, you, we live in Joplin. We're 4th of July last until August 1st. So you're real familiar with fireworks. And you know, those fireworks with the longest fuses, it takes forever for them to burn takes longer for him to blow up. It's an accurate translation of what God says about himself. He says, I'm long nosed. It takes forever for my fuse to burn. It takes a long time for me to blow up in anger. God says, when I'm with you, I'm long nosed. I, I don't blow up quickly. Some of you know that because you've been with God for 20 years and he still hasn't blown up on you. <laughs> Some of you know that because you've been with God for a day and he hasn't blown up on you yet. Then he says, I'm full of steadfast love and faithfulness, steadfast love. Uh, A spouse will be good to their spouse purely for the sake of they committed to their spouse. When God says I'm full of steadfast love, he says, I'm good to you, not because of you, but because I've committed myself to you. Then he says, I'm full of faithfulness. A spouse will stick through it, stick it through with their spouse in richer, poor sickness and health because they vowed to do it. When God says I'm faithful, he says, I make good on every vow I've made. You can depend on it. Then he says, I forgive. Some of you, like me, have gone through college, graduated, might not have graduated, but right now you're looking at a whole bunch of debt. And some of us, maybe just maybe, are praying that somebody forgives that debt. What's that? That's that's the person that we're indebted to saying, you, you don't got to repay this anymore. When God says, I forgive, he's saying, I don't require you to repay your sin debt anymore. And then he says, but by no means. 
rights do I clear the guilty? That, 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 should, that should make us tremble a little, but that's also good news. Because he's saying, I don't give clear passes. I don't turn a blind eye to sin. In other words, I am a God of justice. So how is he forgiving but doesn't clear the guilty? How, how does he not make me repay my debt? But also he doesn't turn a blind eye towards my sin. That's the good news that when he sent his son Jesus to come and die on that cross, all of my debt, all of my sin was put on Jesus and Jesus paid my debt for me. So I don't have to. Now my debt is paid. It's paid in full by that precious blood that my Jesus paid. He says, that's who I'm going to be when I'm with you. God, he says, I'm with you. I'm with you, showering you with gifts you didn't do anything for. I'm with you, helping you in your weakness, in your in your poverty. I'm I'm with you and I'm not causing you to repay your debt. I'm with you and I'm enacting justice. I'm with you. Thank you. Thank you. And you know how, why he's with you? Somebody prayed for me. Took the time and prayed for me. Yeah. I'm so glad Jesus prayed. I'm so glad Jesus prayed for me.